The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. That's Rick Kemper and Dave Stern for those of you keeping score at home. By day, we are the publishers of Eckhart's Press and Chicago Author Solutions. By night, we're unappreciated husbands and fathers. And in our spare time, we are consumers of worthless information. And th- what's the other word for that, Dave? That'd be minutia. minutia. M-I-N-U-T-I-A. Actually, there's more than one spelling, I think. Yeah, there is. One is plural, though. I don't even want to get into that. Okay. But uh, the bottom line is that is the crux of our show. And that is why we call ourselves Minutia Men, and we are on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And I don't know if you heard, Dave, but uh, the uh, Radio Misfits added a big show to the to their program list this week. Right, we are now an afterthought. We, we really are because this is yeah. pretty exciting. This, yeah, we're nothing now. We're 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 making sandwiches for this network for an Artie <laughs> Lang. Come on, Artie Lang uncensored is now part of the. Oh. Uh, uh, the Radio Misfits.com podcast network, and it's called uh, the show. The podcast is called Artie Quitter Uncensored Podcast. And if you don't know who Artie is, Artie was the uh, sidekick for Howard Stern for many years and is really hysterically funny, a very funny mm-hmm. comedian. So we are honored to be on the same uh, podcast network as him. Did you hear what, that just like 72 hours after he joined the the uh, network, Dave, that he, his podcast was already number 19 on the the comedy podcast yeah. list on iTunes? Yeah. And you know what? I looked for what our ranking was. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, I, I got up to like 17,000 and I haven't seen us yet. <laughs> it took me like four hours and I'm like, come on, we, we got to be here somewhere. Maybe uh, we're not classified as comedy. Uh, probably yeah. shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. The, uh, we'll have our listeners be the judge of that. But no, it's very exciting. And thank you. And then thanks to the Radio Misfit Network for all the work that they've been putting in um, to get this. I mean, this is great. And good luck to everybody. Uh, you know, people can, if they like our show, they can subscribe. Uh, they can rate us. They can comment on us. And I bet that will uh, lift us in, in the rankings, I've understood, I'm, uh, I've been told. Uh, yeah, and I'm and I'm gonna create about seventy two different email aliases and just say how much I love our show too. That'll help too. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Dave. What kind of minutia do we have this week? Well, Rick, you're a big baseball fan, no? Big, 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 uh, big, big baseball fan. And think of the word big, because and you're a you're kind of a memorabilia guy, a sports memorabilia guy, right? I mean, Absolutely. You've got stuff. Um, Babe Ruth is huge, as you can. Imagine being what arguably the greatest ball player ever. And probably. I, think, I think in the memorabilia world, Babe Ruth is, Babe Ruth is number one. Um, well, here is something. If you are a collector, for any any collectors out there that may be listening to our show, there is an item right now that is um, that Leland's Auction House uh, has it up for auction right now. And this is probably the most hilarious name of an item that is on the Leland's auction house. It's called the Babe Ruth bat penis snapshot photograph. (laughs) Uh, Did did you, did you see this picture? Uh, I did not No. Okay. It's a, it's a picture of Babe Ruth. And from the looks of it, looks like Babe is toward the end of his career. I think, I think there's been some hard miles on Babe. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, he doesn't. He didn't look that great. Uh, but he's sitting there, or he's standing there, I should say, in front of the dugout. And in between his legs, he has positioned a bat 
like a penis. <laughs> you <laughs> like know, a, like a baseball bat coming out between his legs. Right, and it's a, it makes it like a penis. Now, I'm a male. Yeah, uh, you're a male. Yeah. Um, and I don't have any analytical data to support this, but I would imagine. One hundred percent of all men on Earth have done something similar to this. <laughs> Don't you think? There is no question about it. Right. I mean, I do it. I do it every day in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. I mean, when I'm in, in the in the kitchen and making a salad or something, and pull the cucumber out, yeah, I can't help it. Exactly. And I'm talking heterosexuals. Homosexuals, transsexuals, Jews, Christians, blacks. Yeah. Uh, every it, this is a universal thing that guys do when. <laughs> when it, it, I, I can imagine right now the Dalai Lama has probably done it. You know, uh, look at my dung. You know, I mean, he, he, there is no. Everybody has done this, and I think it's just hilarious that the babe. You know, it just – and his expression is like, yeah, what do you want from me? Like, this is my dick, you know? You know, and the the babe doing it doesn't surprise me in the slightest, though. No. I mean, that's kind of like his whole uh, persona, isn't it? Or his shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. But when I think that's also hilarious about this, if you read more into the description, first of all, it's going for about two grand right now, which actually doesn't seem to be all that much. It's a steal. You know? Yeah, it is a deal. Uh, but uh, and it was taken. The picture was taken by teammate Ed Wells. Uh, oh, it even says the date: um, nineteen twenty nine, nineteen or sometime between nineteen twenty nine and nineteen thirty two. So that's yeah, the, the end that's of, that is towards the end of his career. The, the end of his career. Um, and I guess the babe was supposed to have a pretty large penis. That was the. I have heard that. In fact, I remember seeing a a video that. Uh, um, I think it was on Deadspin or something like that, where they had uh, a slow motion of the babe swinging a bat uh, right. you know, in a real game or right. you know, in batting practice or something. And when he turns towards the camera, there's some flopping going on there <laughs> that uh, that uh, that yeah. does not happen to me. Let's put it that right. way. Right. Right. Uh, if Rick Kempfer hit a 714th, that there would not be an isolation of GIF. No, on uh, no. Deadspin right now, um, but but what is funny is is Josh Evans, who uh, oh who is the chairman, said that that he researched <laughs> Babe Ruth's penis and found that many teammates were disputing the fact that <laughs> Babe had a large penis. Nah, it wasn't so, that big. Yeah, it wasn't that big. <laughs> right, exactly. Some of you know, so you know that you know. The guy who hits seven home runs is going, yeah, my penis is bigger. You know, uh, uh, so you can get it. It's for 1948, and you go on uh, Leland's, the Leland's auction site, and you can get a picture of, of Babe, Ruth, Bruce, the Babe Ruth making a uh, phallic gesture with a baseball bat. Do you remember uh, when we were in uh, Second City training school together? Uh-huh. And at the end of each um, – or actually before before the classes or before our performances, uh, you and I and another guy in the group would do something called Bad Choice Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is a, just to explain to the listeners, just to get it out of our system, because we were constantly being told that uh, we've made bad choices. <laughs> yeah, right. you know, right. when we're my mother stage. told me that in my life, too, but <laughs> Second City did it regularly. They told us that, yeah. When we were on stage, we had a tendency to kind of go – for the low blow. Uh, right. 
Right. And so we would, to get it out of our system before our performances, we would do something that we call bad choice theater, where we would just be as vile and nasty as we could possibly be. Right. Bodily fluids. Oh, it uh, always they, ended with someone squatting over someone else's head. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Bad things exactly. happening. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but exactly. it got it out of our system, don't you think? Right. 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 Uh, so anyway, that is our Babe Ruth uh, minutia. And, and I want to go right to uh, the other biggest star of the 20th century who passed away this week, and that is Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Um, and uh, some uh, Muhammad Ali minutia. First of all, uh, didn't you meet him, Dave? Or know somebody who met him? What was the story um, on that? No, I think you've got that confused. Uh, and I don't know why. And, and, um, I was once stuck in an elevator with Stevie Wonder. Okay. <laughs> is that? Is no, that, that is not at is, all the story I was thinking of. But that sounds okay, like a good story. Which is story. a great story, by yeah, the way. Which is a great it. story, by the way. If you want to hear it. You want to hear the Stevie Wonder story? Yeah. Um, it was in Champaign. It was like 1980. Six, I think it was when I was I, I already finished grad school and I was working at Kinko's and I was delivering paper or delivering a print job or something to the university in, you know, the that was the big hotel there on campus. Right. Right. right yeah. And um, I got into an elevator because I had to deliver it up to their like business offices that were on the top floor. And on the way down, a very large black man and two like smaller white people, uh, got into the elevator. I'm like, God, that guy looks familiar. It was Stevie Wonder. And um, he was playing that evening at the assembly hall. We got stuck somewhere, I don't know, between the seventh and eighth or seventh and sixth floor. And um, for about, I don't know, six, seven minutes, I was stuck in an elevator with Stevie Wonder. And (laughs) I said, hello. And they said, hello. And um, what I what I will never forget about it. First of all, he was a very large man. Yeah, I don't he's, know. He's huge. I've met him once. Yeah, he really big. And what they did to pass the time while they were stuck in the elevator, they were doing word jumbles. Um, they were they were telling word jumbles to one another, and they were telling them to Stevie. They would like put like eight you know eight letters all jumbled up, and Stevie would think about it and go. Eh. Uh, you know, loveliness or whatever. I'm not kidding. They did. They did word scrambles. He did word scrambles in his head. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Right. And they and they, they, they would do like you know right, you know L M N F you know whatever. I'm not doing a word. And he would just take a second. And he would be. And he got like all of them. It was unbelievable to me. He was like a word jumble savant. Wow, that's that's yeah. a good story. Thank you for yeah. that. It has nothing uh, to do with Muhammad Ali, but I, I enjoy that story. Um, no. So I was looking up uh, Muhammad Ali Minutia this week just because uh, he passed away. And he was always one of my favorites. And I remember my dad hating him for some reason, just absolutely hating him. And, you know, going back to probably the draft dodging or mm-hmm. something to that effect. But uh, I, always, I always thought he was cool. And I love the way he... Uh, he would tell the poetry and stuff as he was about to, you know, do a smackdown. Uh-huh. Um, but here's a couple of things that I did not know. Guess where his 1960 Olympic gold medal is that uh, he won f- f- at the light heavyweight uh, championship? Uh, I will. My first thought would be is it be at some sort of museum. But by the chance that you're mentioning it, it's probably not at a museum. I, no, I don't know. where. It is, is it? in the bottom of the Ohio River. 
Because really? after he got back from uh, winning uh, the gold medal, he went to a diner at a small town and was refused service because he was black. Oh, God. And he yeah. got so mad that he, he threw his gold medal into the Ohio River. Uh, good for him. Good for him, yes. Yeah, exactly. Which, uh, uh, which fighter once said this to Ali uh, right before uh, their fight? He said, I'm going to pull that big tongue out of your mouth and stick it up your ass. <laughs> uh, well, Joe Frazier wouldn't because Joe was a very quiet guy, right? Um, uh, did he ever fight Sonny Liston? No, Sonny wait, Liston that, is correct. Sonny is Liston, it Sonny Liston? Yes. Okay. Who uh, spent some time in jail. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I don't remember this at all. Uh, during his exile from boxing, Ali introduced a chain of fast food restaurants. Do you remember this? No. What year is this? Yeah, you know, in, in between 67 and 70, I guess, when he was told that he could not fight because of, you know, the draft dodging thing. No, no. I mean, I remember Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips. That's not him, is it? No, Champ Burgers. He had a chain called Champ Burgers. I miss that entirely. Yeah, never heard of it. And here's another one. And by the way, uh, I should say that uh, Dave and I are at home, and occasionally things will happen in our homes that uh, wouldn't be on a professional broadcast, like, uh, for instance, a phone ringing in the background. Do Do you hear that? Uh, you have a landline still, don't you? I do have a landline, and somebody is what? calling it right now. You pick it up and put him on the podcast. No, I, I, it's, it's around the corner, I, I, so it's a long walk. Yeah, um, okay. But here's one last thing about Ali that I did not know, and that is in 1980, the United Nations sent him to uh, Iran to try to negotiate the release of the American hostages. I think I remember that. I don't um, remember that at all. Was Jesse Jackson probably part of that? Was well, no, why do I, I think I that don't Jesse? Think so no, because he was a Muslim. That's why, you know, he was allowed in there. Um, truly a great man, flawed like everybody. Yeah, you know. But um, I mean, think about people. Certainly in our lifetime, how many athletes have had the worldwide appeal than Muhammad Ali? I mean, he's probably, arguably, the most famous human on earth. I right. think he. I think he definitely was in the seventies when we. I lived yeah. in Germany at that time, and you know he was he was just revered there. They loved him. But uh, yeah, and I mean I remember. I don't know if it was the Thriller in Manila. When was that? Like seventy, sixty nine, seventy one, something like that. And that was during the school year because I remember all the kids talking about it in the playground. You know. Uh, Right before I got punched, right before I got beaten up, we all talked about uh, Muhammad Ali. No, I mean it was a real. He was he was a thing, you know. And I don't think I can't I I can't think of anybody who has captured. Do you know why he became a boxer in the first place? This is one other thing I just discovered. At the age of eleven, he joined a boxing club run by a police officer, and the reason he did it was because someone stole his bike and he wanted to beat him up. Yeah, good for you. And that's that's why he learned how to box. <laughs> right. uh, and you know that that kid got scared. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, he, of course. Uh, so, no, that's great. Well, and rest in peace, Muhammad Ali, and uh, um, all these tributes that I've been hearing, especially from his daughters. Have you seen his daughters? My God, what a couple of well-spoken oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, children that he's had. And, um, well... 
right, there'll what, never what, be another what one. What other kind of minutia do we have this week for everyone, Dave? Well, well speaking of dead people, yeah, um, I found this. This is Hungary. This is out of Hungary, in Debrecen, Hungary. Actually, how do you pronounce this? D u I'm sorry, D e b r e c e n. I don't Debrecen. know. Debrecen, Hungary. Well, I don't okay. know. You're from, you know, you spent some time in Eastern Europe. I thought all you guys know this. Um, there was a grave grave digger competition. Okay. In Debrecen, Hungary. Uh, and here I'll read from the uh, from the UPI. Digging their way to the top, 18 two-man teams of Hungarian grave diggers. This is actually a sitcom. 18 two-man teams of Hungarian grave diggers displayed their skills Friday for a place in regional championship to be held in Slovakia this year. And what it is is the teams of two grave diggers are, are, are competing to who can dig the grave the quickest as well as who makes them the prettiest or, the, you know, the – you know, all the sides have to be, I guess all the sides have to be parallel and 90 degree angles and, and the whole thing. And this is um, an annual event. And what is, let me tell you, Rick, what is a dimension of a perfect grave? Uh, well, I think I think it's supposed to be six feet deep, right? Isn't that? You uh, would think, but nope. Nope. Five feet, three inches deep. Uh, now is that a metric system thing? Could be. Yeah, uh, it's well, it's one point <laughs> six meters. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what it is, um, two uh, two feet seven inches wide. Okay, six feet six inches long, and five feet three inches deep. Okay, that is well. I guess that's the perfect Hungarian grave. I wow. guess the American grave is maybe six feet. I don't know, six feet under. The and. What, after reading this story, it really made me mad. It, it, it reminded me of the times that I really get mad. Like when you, when I hear about a mob hit or something in Chicago, yeah. and then the body is found in a shallow grave. Yeah, half-hearted. Half-hearted yeah. effort. That always aggravated me. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to plan the murder. Uh-huh. You're going you know, you're gonna, to, you're gonna, what, get a, get a weapon that is not... Uh, that that is not registered or whatever and can't be. You're going to go through all this trouble, and then you're going to bury the guy in a shallow grave. That's you know what. That's why this country is going to hell, Rick. It's no true. work ethic. You're right. No no work ethic. So uh, that would never happen in Hungary. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> no, and I would love to watch a news program, and l- let's say a Dane Placco, for instance. Okay. <laughs> At, you know that they discover a mob hit, and I would love the camera to pan and go look at this grave. This body was fo- was was found in a really well made grave. <laughs> you know, can we get a tape measure on this? Hey Chuck Quinzio, Q, get a tape measure. I want to see. Look at this. This is exactly five feet three inches. This is perfect. <laughs> uh, you know what they're going to do next year in Hungary? Yeah, the cremation race. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. would be a fun one. By the way, <laughs> did you know? And this is actually a nice little segue into our next segment. That there was a cub whose nickname was the Grave Digger. No, who who was who was that? Richie Hebner. His his dad was a grave digger, and he worked as a grave digger in the off season. And his nickname was the Grave Digger. Richie Hebner. Um he, he, when did he, he hit for the, the he was on the Pirates for many years and right. I, he was a member of the 84 Cubs that uh that I think won the World Series didn't they win the <laughs> Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Uh, yes, they did. Um, Richie Hebner, I don't remember him. I do remember him. I don't remember him on the Cubs. I do remember him on the on the Pirates. Um, well, this leads into our Just One Bad Century uh, oh, I segment. Got, I have to hit the intro, so hang on one second. Time now for a collection of Cub geekness. This is Just One Bad Century. With Rick and Dave. Okay, Just One Bad Century, we like to focus on Cub minutia because I am the editor-in-chief of justonebadcentury.com and I have compiled information about every Cub who ever played uh, on the north side or west side of Chicago. And Dave, I want to go way, way back in time today. Are you there? I'm right here, yeah. Okay. Go. Uh, we were talking about the nickname The Grave Digger. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about two people who celebrated birthdays this week who had the nicknames of Little Eva and Bridget. Bridget, your lovely wife, played for the Cubs. <laughs> well, wait, wait till I read this about Bridget. Uh, but little Eva was uh, a star player in the uh, 1890s for the uh, Chicago Colts and Orphans, as they were known at that time. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, known for a couple of things, but he was called Little Eva because he was a great dancer. He was, he was a what? He was a great dancer. He, oh, a great dancer. Yeah, okay. he, would, he was known for playing with grace, but he was just as well known for his fancy dance moves off the stage. And at 28 years old, at the peak of his career, he found a rich girl and retired. Retired from baseball because he's like, hey, I'm not going to make any money in, uh, in baseball, but, uh, you know, I've got a rich girl, a sugar mama. So he retired and gave up the end of his career, and, and he was on a pathway to become a Hall of Famer, but he really? left it for the money. You know, good for him. Sad end of the story, Dave. What? She, she divorced him. <laughs> That's awesome. Even that though awesome. he stole a girl's heart, she jumped out of her crouch in time to throw out the last few productive years of his career. And, uh, and little Eva's story ends sadly. Well, maybe little Eva had a little Eva, not like Babe Ruth. And maybe that was the problem. Could be. Uh, so let me tell you about Bridget, who played mm-hmm. for the Cubs and actually was a teammate of uh, of little Eva. Uh, his, te- his real name was Tim Donahue, and they called him Bridget. Um, even though he was considered one of the toughest men in the league. And I think it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, Curly, uh, you know, from the Three Stooges, they called him Curly, even though he wasn't really Curly. Bridget was kind of a, you know, a a slang term for effeminate man. You know what I mean? Irony. Yes, exactly. Because he was so tough, he once caught an entire game with two splints on broken fingers. That that's pretty tough. He was known as a catcher, uh, a good catcher. He was quick to anger. He fought with teammates openly and regularly. And when his time ended, he he left in a very unclassy way. He left a note for his teammates, and it said, "Former comrades, <laughs> you called me knocker, and you did well call me such. Upon the West Side's grounds, I made you look like soiled deuces in a clean deck." <laughs> I beat you all in batting, fielding, and base running. None of you had an edge on me. I was too good for you. Nice. Yeah. And, and very well spoken, too, Bridget was. <laughs> he became a, uh, a professional gambler after yeah. leaving baseball. How'd that work out? He became a very wealthy man. Oh. 
Uh, but then he died at age 32. So his yeah. story also so, does not end happily. So we're kicking his ass right exactly. now. In the, in the longevity category? Come on, Bridget. Right here, buddy. Exactly. It is time now, Dave, for although we've already had a celebrity potpourri with your Stevie Wonder story, uh, it's time for another uh, celebrity potpourri. A random name pulled out of Rurik's bowl of brushes with celebrities. Mixture. Collection. Selection. Assemblage. Medley. Assortment. Variety. Time now for Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Dave. So in a previous life, I was the uh, executive producer of the Stephen Gary Show and The Loop and John Records Landecker Show at WJMK and a couple of other shows, and so I met a lot of celebrities. And Dave likes hearing these celebrity stories, so I wrote down all of their names on little pieces of paper, put them in a bowl, and each week Dave sticks his hand in the bowl and pulls out a name. And I got one right here. Jim Belushi, Chicago's very own Jim Belushi. Okay, now... That's not a real impressive celebrity <laughs> on my list, but yeah. uh, but this is a good story, which is why I put it in the in the bowl. Um, and it does not make me look good. I will just say that in advance. This story actually starts about a week before I met Jim Belushi. It was a uh, it was during the 1988 presidential election, okay. and, and I was trying to get Michael Dukakis on Stephen Gary's show. Because he was the Democratic nominee for president. And at oh, that yeah, time, yeah. he was way ahead of George Bush in the uh, in the polls. And I spent all day trying to get him when he was in Chicago. I thought this would be like the, the crowning jewel interview of my entire career. You're right. And, and Stephen Gary would even say, good job, Rick. Uh, or at least not say, you suck, Rick. Right, right. Okay, good point. Okay. Um so I I spent all day trying to get him on and could not get him on. And then during the show, we got a phone call on the hotline. Yeah. And it was a, a PR guy who said, uh, yes, I'm calling for Michael Dukakis. Michael Dukakis is ready to go on the air with Stephen Gary. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, I did. I've done it. <laughs> I am great. I am the greatest producer in radio history. Now, what I did not know... Uh, at that time, because I had only been there about a year or so, I did not know that virtually all of Chicago had that hotline number. <laughs> and I don't know how it got out there, but everyone seemed to know this number. And so there were constant prank calls. So I went into the studio while they were on the air and, you know, said, uh, yes, uh, Stephen Geary, we have a presidential candidate on the line that would like to talk to you. <laughs> like, like I was some hot stuff. You know what yeah, I mean? Uh, yeah. right, and then right. I casually walked out of the room and went back into my producer's booth. And and they put him on the phone. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, yes, please hold for Michael Dukakis. Uh, yes, okay. And then this guy goes, on, hey, it's me, Miss Michael Dukakis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Let me guess it was not Michael Dukakis. <laughs> it was not Michael Dukakis. So I had to uh, take just a, an unlimited <laughs> amount of beatings for that. After that happened, one week later, Steve and Gary were doing a broadcast, I think, from Hat Dance Restaurant somewhere, uh, one of Steve's restaurants. Yeah. And Jim Belushi calls up on the hotline. Like, hey, yeah, it's Jim Belushi. I want to try to find uh, Steve and Gary. Where are they at? I said, yeah, right. It's Jim Belushi. And I hung up on him. (laughs) So I'm listening because I'm running the controls from the radio station. I'm listening to 
the uh, the feed coming from behind uh, the scenes. You know, they said yeah, feed yeah. during a commercial break, and I, and I hear Jim Belushi walking into the broadcast area. He's like, "Hey guys, hey! I just wanted to come in and say hi. I was in town, heard you. Hey, listen, I called into uh, I called into <laughs> your station. Some asshole hung up on me." <laughs> Wow, that was a that was a great seven days in the Rick Kemper career catalog, isn't it? I'm lucky they didn't fire me. Uh, Uh, So anyway, that is my Jim Belushi story, and that ends this week's edition of Minutia Men. To find out more about Rick and Dave, you can uh, check us out at EckhartsPress.com and ChicagoAuthorSolutions.com. We also like to uh, give some special thanks to. Our executive producer, Tony Lasano from Opie Productions. Uh, it's distributed by Ed Silla from the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Be sure to tell a friend about Minutia Men. And if you want to reach us, uh, you can reach us at minutiamenpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Minutia Men. <laughs> you didn't blow it this week. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It doesn't have to take me six weeks. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? The Untitled Hour with Hot Doug and the Hitmaker. Uh, be sure to join Hot Doug's The Untitled Hour featuring the Hitmaker. Did you know that that was... Wait a second. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you're now being hot... Uh, I'm just re- I just read this. Oh. Right. Hot Doug's... Okay, let's go, go keep... keep. Carry on. Let's see where this goes. Uh, Live from the Taste of Chicago in Grant Park on Sunday, July 10th at 2 p.m. Come out and join us. You're out? Yeah, equal billing or I'm out. We'll talk it to, uh, well, you know, we'll talk to Artie Lang. Sure. Apparently he's running the thing now. Yeah. Come out and join us for a real cool treat. Mm -hmm. The Untitled Hour. The Tony Lasano Podcast and OPI Production on the The Radio Misfits Podcast Network. RadioMisfits.com.